Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Ron Jorlock, and I want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Uh, Today I'm joined by Dr. David Platt to talk about his new book, Don't Hold Back, Leaving Behind the American Gospel to Follow Jesus Fully. Uh, David serves as a pastor of McLean Bible Church. It's uh, located in Northern Virginia, and he's authored several books, including uh, some more well-known ones like Radical and Counterculture. Uh, He's a co-editor of the Christ-Centered Exposition Commentary Series. He's written several volumes in that series. He's a former president of the International Mission Board. He's founder and chairman of Radical, uh, which helps to equip uh, Christians to live on mission, especially uh, mission uh, towards the unreached and unreached peoples and unreached places. Uh, he, he has done quite a bit in, in his young life. And, uh, <laughs> and so uh, it's so great to have him here. David, thank you for coming back onto the podcast to discuss this latest book of yours, Don't Hold Back. Man, it's, it's good to be back. I, I would just say from the start, I'm, I'm thankful for you, brother, for all that you do to encourage and equip uh, pastors. So yeah, it's good to be back, man. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Let's let's jump right in. Let's uh, first off uh, define some terms. So uh, in your book, you have the subtitle, Leaving Behind the American Gospel to Follow Jesus Fully. Why, why don't you define that term, American Gospel? What, what, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so basically I'm playing off some of, uh, you mentioned a, a book I'd written a little over a decade ago, uh, Radical, Taking Back Your Faith in the American Dream. And so this kind of tendency or temptation among Christians to settle for a nice, comfortable Christian spin on the American dream. Well, after uh, the last decade and specifically pastoring in Metro DC for the last five years, I just have become convinced that it wasn't just an American dream that was Mm -hmm. consuming and tempting us, but American an American gospel. Mm -hmm. Uh, And by that, so what I mean is well, I would I would summarize it. We've exchanged, I think, a biblical gospel that exalts Jesus above everything in this world for an American gospel that prostitutes Jesus for the sake of comfort and power and politics and prosperity in this world. And we've actually united around in the church ideas and references and convictions that are more American or more fundamentally American than they are even biblical. And we have a desperate need to get back to the core of what the actual biblical gospel is. So I I think that plays out in all kinds of different ways, uh, which I'm I'm sure we'll talk about. But uh, that, that would be my summary of why I wrote this book, because I am zealous to see the church hold tightly to God's word and the gospel in it and loosely to ideals and preferences and even convictions that uh, we may hold strongly in our country, but don't, there are nowhere near as important as the word of God and the centrality of the biblical gospel. 
Well, you've definitely uh, been able to sit in, in different um, positions, um, you know, as I've mentioned before, uh, different things uh, in terms of missions, uh, different positions, uh, of course, in the local church, and, and certainly you've uh, been able to travel to different spaces as well uh, in, in the country. Um, how have you seen it manifest? Like, what, what does it look like kind of, you know, on the ground? Yeah, so I, I would say uh, that instead of being eager to unite around Jesus in the church, uh, I see Christians really quick to divide over what I would call the idolatry of personal and political convictions. Hmm. Um, I would say that instead of enjoying the multi-ethnic beauty that Jesus has made possible for us in the church— and we live in a country where Christians are still largely segregating by the color of our skin. Mm. Um, I would say that we are uh, much more caught up in debating justice than we are in actually doing it. I would say that uh, in many ways we've been lured by calls to promote the greatness of our nation in ways that we are, I would argue, essentially disregarding. Jesus' command to take the gospel to all nations, and even the way we we uh, we hold and wield God's word, it feels like we're we're wielding it like it's a weapon against our enemies in a culture war, instead of like it's water for thirsty friends in a spiritual desert. Hmm. And and maybe at at the at the kind of core of all that, I, I think we're tempted to seek God or Jesus as a means to an end, as opposed to seeking him as the end. Uh, and and so I see that playing out. I've seen it play out in the church I pastor. I've seen it play out in, I think, the church in our culture. And that's where I just want to uh, cast a vision for a, a different picture, a picture, a picture where we're fighting for not with or against each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're, we actually turn the tide on centuries of racial division in the church. And there's a way to hold fast to God's word with conviction, but also love people around us, including people who disagree with us with compassion and to do justice in the world. And we have more opportunities today to get the gospel to the nations than ever before in history. So mm. that's that's kind of the positive picture I'm wanting to paint in this book. And, and that's why I titled it Don't Hold Back. Like, I don't want to hold back from all of that, knowing that it's, it's costly to uh, dive into some of these issues and address some of these realities. Mm. Well, let's talk about some of these issues that you uh, you bring up in the book. Uh, you already mentioned issues of race and, and, and prejudice and, and so on. Uh, how can pastors better think about these, these kinds of issues, you know, issues about race, issues about ethnicity and, and so on through the lens of the gospel? Yeah, I, that's where I was convicted, especially, I mean, so go back to 2020, Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, and the world talking about racial justice or racial injustice and i realized as a pastor okay the people i'm pastoring are going to be discipled on on race and justice their question is not whether they're going to be discipled it's going to be are they going to be discipled by the world or by god's word yeah. and so i took our church through i and other pastors we, we walked through 
the gospel, the church, justice, and race. Just opening our Bibles. We spent multiple weeks praying, fasting, opening the word, and just saying, okay, what is what does God say about race and ethnicity? What does God say about justice? And what does God say about how the gospel relates to justice? And we dove into that, and it was so, I, I see so good. The most part it was, there There was some pushback to that along the way and in ways that, yeah, were really challenging. But I just, I was convinced that if we could just seek the Lord together, pray fast and open his word and see what his word says about these things, we will find that his word is so much better than what the world is telling us about these things. And then to work that out practically so that the church I pastor has over a hundred different nations represented and so um it was really interesting to then get into okay how does this play out in our life together as a church and it's just one example uh like at one point i asked there were hundreds of people going through this journey and i asked them i said uh, uh how many of you have ever experienced challenges in our church as a result of your ethnicity and it was really interesting uh, out of those I asked, uh, 88% of the white members who were walking through this said, I've never experienced any challenges hmm. as a result of ethnicity in our church, my ethnicity in our church. So 88% said no challenges. But then out of our black members, 97% said they had experienced challenges Wow! as a result of their ethnicity in our church. And at least 50% of Asian and Latino and Native Americans expressed the same thing. And it was really eye-opening for me and I think for us as a church to realize, okay, so it's 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 foundational that we open the Word together and we see what God's Word says about race and ethnicity and justice. And then it's really important that we listen to each other and learn from each other's perspectives and realize Okay, there are a lot of people who are having a very different experience, even in our multi-ethnic church, than some others are. And for why is that? And how can we make sure that the church is is a place where everybody truly feels at home and uh, where it's not just, uh, I mean, one, one of our African-American pastors put it this way. He said, sometimes I feel like a welcomed guest here, almost like it's a bed and breakfast like i mm. i can come and i can stay and i can eat the meal and sleep but it's not uh pictures that i'm familiar with on the walls mm. and it's not uh the menu that necessarily i would have preferred for the meal and uh and he said we really feel that most keenly when it comes to issues of justice mm. and and conversations about justice and so all that to say it was it was that was really big for me personally to hear process together in the church but for us to do that together with the bible open and seeking the lord together it was so so good and so i would just encourage pastors uh yeah to think through why is it that we're still segregating by the color of our skin in the church and are there things that we're doing maybe not intentionally but uh, even unintentionally that are promoting that kind of picture. And how can we truly work for what Jesus has made possible in the multi-ethnic beauty of the church? Certainly, we all want to turn the tide on centuries of racial division in the church. So what is that going to take? That's one of the things I try to dive into in the book and just some practical ways we can, we can do that. 
Yeah, that's really good. You know, I I, I think about um, a passage that was that was pivotal to uh, my own life, uh, which was the the second half of Ephesians two, uh, and and how the Lord says, or how how Paul talks about how the Lord takes Jew and Gentile and makes them one new man in Christ. One thing that's really oh, that really intrigued me, though, and something I didn't really think about until a little bit later was that that's not actually the end of the passage. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the last part of, or the, uh, the uh, second half of Ephesians 2 is, is really, you know, the beginning of this multi-ethnic reality that Paul is, that Paul is developing. Chapter 3 continues the conversation, um, oddly enough, you know, chapter 3 coming right after chapter 2. And, and in chapter 3, he talks about this mystery that he had been given, you know, this, this mystery that God reveals to him as he gives him as a stewardship of God's grace, he says. And in verse 6, he reveals what the, what the mystery is. He says, the mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel and 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 the Greek it's so much more stark you know it's 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 this you know uh, soon this soon this soon this or we would say in English co this co this co this co heirs co members you know co body if you will uh, co partners you know uh, partakers in there and so uh, when I've preached on on that part in Ephesians I'll tell people uh, Ephesians two talks about uh, how God brings us into one family. And then Ephesians 3 says we all are an equal equal partner. We're all equal share, you know, uh, shareholders, if you will, of, you know, uh, the, the riches of the inheritance that we have. There's no pecking order uh, in the church. There's, there's no, you know, uh, class, if you will, in the church. We are all on the same level, uh, Jew and Gentile. And so in a lot of ways, that, that should force us to rethink the way that we view the church, the way that we view each other, and so on. There's no second class here, uh, much as we would have you know, in, our, in, our, in our culture, much as we would have, of course, in, in our history. Uh, that just crumbles to pieces uh, when we decide we're going to follow Jesus uh, and follow him well. And what's so interesting, too, is the next passage— <laughs> In Ephesians 3, Paul talks about how he basically takes this message on the road, and uh, and he's like, this is what I'm trying to tell people. <laughs> he's like, I'm going and I'm sharing this message uh, to all the Gentiles. I'm trying to get them in on this and say, hey, you, you know, this is real. Come on, join join the party. But then he says something in verse 10. He says that he he, he preaches this gospel so that through the church— through the church, through Jew, Gentile, one people, co-heirs and all that, through this church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So this church is meant to send a message to the powers, <laughs> you know, these, these forces and powers and so on that yeah, time's up. <laughs> and the Lord is, you know, the Lord is on the move and he's making all things new and here's exhibit A on that. It's it's the way we are as Jew and Gentile living together uh as one new family. I I I remember when the lights came on on that and it was just like I can't look back. Like there's just there's there's no like this is too beautiful. 
uh, for me to keep pretending <laughs> like the Lord hasn't actually done something here. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's spectacular. Yeah. Bro, that's so good. Like, you could just keep going. Because I, I was actually, my, my church group, uh, we've been walking through, in our church, uh, we've been walking through Ephesians. So we were just in Ephesians 4. So I we could keep talking, like, all the way to the end. It's so rich. Yeah. But that's where, that's, uh, man, I'm so convicted when I look at the church culture we're a part of. Because we've actually, like, I, I would argue we've built a whole church growth strategy on undercutting that yeah um, yeah meaning meaning like the, the, the whole strategy for decades has been like designed churches for people that look alike that mm-hmm. have similar tastes that have similar and and it's almost like we can we can grow bigger churches and spread the gospel more if we'll have like jews and gentiles in different churches yeah and uh, people who have these convictions over here and these convictions over there uh, which i know there's a there's a place for that it's part of what I'm talking about in the book too, but I think we've actually undercut that beauty intentionally in mm-hmm. the way we've approached growth in the church in our day in ways that have really robbed us of the beauty Jesus has designed us for and robbed the church of power and 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 what you're talking about in Ephesians 3.10, the, the powers, spiritual powers in this world are not seeing the beauty that Jesus has made possible in the church. And so that's why I'm like, I don't, I don't want to hold back from that. Well, I mean, the way you put it was great. So like, you can't unsee that. Yeah. You, you want to experience the fullness of that. And don't we want that? And, but, but getting there is not easy and yeah. is costly in many ways. Uh, yeah. 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 You're so right. You're so right. And, and and I mean, you you talked about it just a couple minutes ago. Uh, you know, when we talk about race, we also have to talk about issues of justice and so on. Of course, justice is beyond that, uh, but it certainly uh, includes it. Uh, you know, how has this American gospel uh, redefined even that? You know, redefined justice and 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 how do we, you know, get back to talking biblically about about justice? Yeah, well, I think I think there's an, uh, an almost an allergy to justice, mm-hmm. or uh, to talk about justice in in many uh, gospel circles, so to speak. Which I say so to speak because I I don't know if we were actually holding fast the gospel if it's not producing justice mm-hmm. in us. Mm-hmm. Like we we certainly and and I, and I do understand that there have been times in the history of the church where calls for justice have um, have caused the church to lose lose hold of the gospel of Jesus Christ of salvation by grace through faith in Christ and, but uh, the tr- that's why we call this process we walked through as a church the gospel church justice and race we just said like the overflow of G- following Jesus in the gospel is doing justice in the world like that's that's clear all throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, whether it's Micah 6, James 2, and, and I mean, you could go all over the place that this is, and the the reference, the hundreds and hundreds of references to justice all over Scripture is a reflection of the character of God and mm-hmm. the Word of God. And we live in a world of so much injustice. Like I was studying even this morning for preaching this Sunday and uh the the picture in mark chapter 12 of the widow's might and just the indictment this was uh, from jesus on 
a religious system that was leaving this widow impoverished as opposed to caring for her like the widow the fatherless the sojourner um the poor those in yeah in all kinds of different physical needs obviously well i would i would put the unreached uh when it comes to lack of exposure even to the gospels you don't even heard the gospel so how can we be active in doing justice like amos chapter five mm-hmm. like a like a stream, like an overflow. We don't need to be cautious when it comes to justice. We need to be extravagant when it comes to working for justice. And I think one of the things that I try to hit on this in the, in the book in different ways is if we're not careful, we can be pretty selective in that and, uh, and pick the, the justice issues that are, uh, yeah, that we're drawn to, uh, like issues of abortion or sexuality, which are, just justice issues sure as are poverty as are all kinds of reasons why people have abortions so it's not just about uh what we do in a ballot box that affects abortion it's also what we do or what we're not doing uh in communities where people are having a lot of abortions for mm-hmm. all kinds of reasons that that are justice related and uh, so how can we look at all of that holistically according to god's word and not pick and choose the justice issues that now obviously god's going to call us in different not not all of us are going to adopt orphans care for widows in exactly the same way do this do i mean do a million things god's called us though as a church to be holistic in our approach to justice and to make sure we're we're doing that and not just picking kind of justice issues that even align with our particular political party. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting that um it, it's almost like a um like we hear the first with the first commandment, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. The second great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And the Lord would say the second is I, I, I grew up on King James. The second is like unto it, <laughs> uh, you know. This and and I almost want to say it's like one A and one B, you know. Uh, not 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 so much a uh, you know first and second, um, but it's interesting the way that things kind of play out uh, in in the church is that we've almost kind of pitted one against the other. So so it's love God or love neighbor. Um, so you have, you know, the folks over here that are, you know, well, we got to love our neighbor. We got to, you know, we, we've got to, whatever we need to do, you know, um, you know, you obviously think social gospel and, uh, you know, even, you know, liberation gospels and all of these kinds of things. You know, we got to love our neighbor. We got to love our neighbor almost to the expense of loving the Lord and, and getting, you know, our categories right on who he is and what he has done in, in Christ and, and all of that is almost like, well, we don't have time to talk about that because the need is so urgent. We got to go over and love our neighbor. And then of course, you know, you get the pendulum swing back. Whoa, whoa, whoa these categories matter. Well, you know, theology matters, get your doctrine right, you know, and so on. And so love, we got to love God and we got to love him rightly, but we don't really talk as strongly about loving our neighbor. <laughs> and so we've kind of pitted these against each other, uh, which I, I think is, you know, to your point, uh, that's that's not the biblical gospel. <laughs> you know, the biblical gospel isn't pick and choose. You know, the, the biblical gospel holds these things together. And, um, you know, the older I get, the more I start to see this is impossible. 
<laughs> the only way we can do this is by the means and the and the power of the Holy Spirit, and uh, perhaps that's why we, you know, divide, <laughs> you know, and 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 uh, and 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 break down, you know, uh, uh, the the whole picture is because we we whittle it down to something that we can actually accomplish, um, but to accomplish the whole thing takes the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a good word. It's a good word. And you know, I I think about some of the things I share in the in the book, like I. I used to like when, when people are like, "Why, why?" Just focus on the gospel, not on justice. Like I actually used to think that way. Hmm. Like I, I would preach the gospel, but for years as a pastor, I never touched the issue of abortion. Hmm. I just said that's a political issue, and then I got super convicted when I was reading Psalm one thirty nine hmm. one day. Like, whoa, this is. A biblical issue far more than it's a far before it's a political issue yeah so i need to i need to speak about what god's word says about abortion um and and have ever since but that's where it's like okay well then why why just abortion or why just a few issues there are there are all sorts i mean there are hundreds of references to the poor the oppressed Mm -hmm. uh we've talked about orphans widows sojourners uh and certainly, when as we were talking about race earlier, just countless references in God's word to God's concern for all people, regardless of the color of our skin. So, like we are, we are passionate about justice, and we don't need to be apologetic in that because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that drives that. And we don't leave the gospel behind; we proclaim the gospel as we do justice, as we hold orphans in our arms and help widows in our communities and serve refugees in our country and rescue slaves from traffickers and visit people in prison and care for victims of abuse and help individuals and families with special needs. And we come alongside moms and dads with unwanted pregnancies and multitudes of other things that God clearly calls us to do in his word, but we can do all of that. We must do all of that while holding fast to the gospel and proclaiming the gospel. This is, it's gospel driven justice. And, and it's what God has has clearly called us to do in this world. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's let's talk about one more uh, uh, one more category that you deal with in here, and and that's with wealth. Uh, so, how has the American gospel shaped the way that we view uh, wealth and and finances in here? Um, and 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 then maybe lean in a little bit more on what does it mean to follow Jesus in in a capitalistic market economy you know obviously that wasn't the economy that jesus <laughs> was was talking uh uh in you know that, that that didn't exist back in those days and so there's going to be some translation that has to be done you know uh, some um some work to uh, uh to think about what that looks like in our culture but yeah why don't you talk about those things yeah well i mean jesus I mean, the, the core principle is, is certainly the same. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So mm-hmm. where where does, and I'm fresh off studying uh, this widow's might passage, like what a picture of uh, a contrast in that passage between worldly giving and worldly use of wealth yeah. and godly giving. Uh, and, well, I won't preach the whole sermon, but, but worldly giving is is convenient and comfortable and godly giving is sacrificial and costly mm. it's the overflow of the gospel and so uh one of the one of the areas where i, I talk about in, in the book that i think is is pretty well you, you don't even have to 
this isn't a, a qualitative judgment. Like the data is there. Like we spend as followers of Jesus, we spend most of our resources on ourselves. We give a small percentage of our resources to church or Christian ministry. Um, and then a very small percentage of that we, we give to, uh, what we would call missions or the spreading gospel around the world. Um, but then it's really interesting. You even look at the small percentage we're giving around the world and approximately 99% of the money we give to missions actually goes to places in the world that are already reached with the gospel, uh, in, uh, South America, for example, Latin America and parts of Europe or some parts of Asia. Um, and and sub-Saharan Africa, like, and I'm not saying it's it's bad to give to those places by any means, mm -hmm. but just quantitatively look at it. There's three billion people who have little to no knowledge of the gospel in the world. They're unreached by the gospel, and we give relative pennies to change that. That shows that our our view of money is way out of whack with what God has called us to in His Word. Like our heart is not with three billion people who have a little to no knowledge of the gospel. And so that, that, that needs to change. And, uh, and, and we can, I mean, that's where, uh, now I'm kind of getting into the, the unreached side of it, but that's where, and I mentioned earlier, like we have more opportunities and part of it because of the wealth we've been given more opportunities to get the gospel to the nations than ever before in history. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's the opportunities we have, I mean, it took Paul how long to write a letter and get it sent off and then get feedback from it. Like we have a device in our pockets that we can communicate with people around the world in in real time in multiple languages. Paul never could have dreamed of that. He never could have dreamed of a machine that could pick us up and fly us through the air and we could be anywhere in the world in a day. Like what opportunities we have and it's one of the things i'm uh, as i'm preaching sunday like what if god actually wants the gospel to spread to the ends of the earth might he give unprecedented wealth mm. to his people in the history of the world for the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth that's exactly what he's done all the wealth that's needed to get the gospel to the unreached is in the church mm -hmm. the question is where where's our heart and i think if we're not careful um, and I include myself in this. Our heart can be in a lot of things that are focused on this earthly country instead of the heavenly kingdom we're called to live for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so true. How, what about that with us as pastors? I mean, we, we're we're I think talking a lot about our people, but but maybe we should talk a little bit about our our own selves. You know, uh, we we are just as susceptible to uh, to this this false gospel. Uh, as as anybody in the in the pews, and and maybe sometimes we have the confusion in the pews because you know we're we're you know saying the wrong message, we're we're promoting a um, a, a false uh, false sense of of reality and so on. So what what do we you know do as pastors you know to to fight that in our own hearts you know to to make sure that we are following the true gospel. Uh, and and not being duped by another. Man, that's so good. There, there's my mind's going in a couple of different places. Well, one certainly in our own lives, in our own hearts, we need to ask, how am I? Where's my, where's my treasure? Where's my heart? Where is it going? And uh, so we need to ask that question personally. And then when we think about the churches we lead, the budgets in our churches, like where where where's our heart? 
based on the budgets in our churches. I mean, the reality is, I think, in in many ways, uh, I mean, this is conviction of my own heart. Like we we look at the budget in our churches, a lot of it's focused on making church more comfortable for us, mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, the kinds of things we've been talking about, doing justice in the world, reaching the unreached with the gospel. So how can we shepherd the church to give to what matters most to God mm-hmm. and to make sure that his priorities are driving those priorities? And and this is where it was, again, I keep going back to Mark 12, it's, it's fresh in my mind, but the scribes uh, and the religious leaders had were overseeing a religious system that was ignoring the poor. They were overseeing a religious system that was really dishonoring God oh man when I hear that I think okay like what am I overseeing mm-hmm. and is this picture of giving in the church that I pastor in our churches is it honoring God is it caring for the poor is it reaching uh, people who are far from the gospel with the gospel is that where all this is is, is focused on and uh, and if we're not careful I think we can uh yeah, given to a temptation to to make church more comfortable for people so that they'll give more, as opposed to calling people to give in a way that's very different from this world for that which is going to last far beyond this world. And so what would that look like in our church budgets? Uh, that's a question we all need to ask as overseers of the religious system in our day. Hmm. Mm, yeah, that's a good word. That's a good word. We have um, uh, a, a limited uh, space, you know, for for influencing and 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 shepherding our people. I mean, you think we we're here on Sunday, you know, we've got what a thirty to forty minute message that we're that you know that we've worked uh, worked on, and we preach that message. We've got, you know, Wednesday night, perhaps some may have a Sunday evening service. You know, those are kind of the corporate gatherings. And then we'll, we'll probably have some time of pastoral care, you know, where we're meeting with people one on one, discipleship, mentoring and, and so on. But you think about the time that we don't spend together and it's just hours upon hours, you know, uh, several days in a week, you know, whole days where, where there's no contact you know there's no there's no there aren't any touch points there how do we cultivate this seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness you know culture when we have so little time together you know and there and and you know the time that we're not spending together we are inundated with with a completely different vision, a completely different message, and many times clashes of messages and and visions and so on. But but what we're not getting is this, you know, this 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 kingdom focus, Christ focus, you know, uh, uh, hope in the gospel focus, you know, uh, that that we get in the times where we're together. Man, that's such a good question that we we need we need to ask. Consider here's where my mind goes as we think about that. It, it, my mind immediately goes to the necessity and centrality in a sense of disciple making in the local church. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if, if, uh, if people's growth in Christ just is dependent on hearing a sermon from me for X amount of minutes 
every Sunday, then okay, that's that's not even going to begin to uh, uh, compete with all the messages this world is going to give them. What do they need? They need to be in deep relationships with other people where Deuteronomy 6, I'm in Deuteronomy right now in my Bible reading just personally, but where the word is being talked about when they sit and when they lie down and when they rise, when they walk along the way, like they need to be saturated in it, which means we need to be in relationships with people in the church where that's happening, which means we as pastors need to make sure we're raising up leaders and disciple makers across the church where that's happening. It just shouts for more than just a programmatic, and by that I mean even just a Sunday program or even a Sunday and a Wednesday program. I'm not saying that's not part of the picture and there's not disciple making that's happening during that. Sure, surely there is, but that there is equipping disciples who are making disciples. And even my my church group last night, uh, we were we were talking about the people who've had the biggest influence in our lives, who have done disciple making in our lives. I and mean, one of the people uh, I was talking about last night was Jim Shaddix, uh, mm-hmm. from there at Southeastern, who has yeah. had a huge impact on my life because he poured his life into me. And, uh, and that was shaping for me, but this is the kind of influence we're supposed to have in each other's lives, shaping influence, uh, teaching each other to obey everything Christ has commanded us continually talking about the word. Uh, so how are we cultivating? those kinds of disciple making relationships in our churches in a way that uh, it's not just hearing a sermon from us every once in a while or a sermon in a Bible study, or, but it's actually being a life on life with people who are spurring us on toward Jesus and uh, reminding us of what matters in this world and showing us what does this look like in marriage? What does this look like in parenting? What does this look like in singleness? What does this look like in how we use our money and how we spend our time and how we work? Uh, like that, we've got to be cultivating those kind of disciple-making relationships uh, if we're going to carry out the mission that Jesus has, has entrusted to us in the church. Mm, that's a good word. Good word. Any final uh, encouragement, uh, final words uh, to our pastors and others that are listening? Yeah, I would just say, I mean, part of the part of the burden on my heart in writing this book, I, I wanted to write it for or just followers of Jesus, period, but especially for leaders in the church. I think about pastors because uh, I've talked with a lot of guys um, who have over recent years just experienced discouragement, disillusionment, and seeing division in the church. And, well, I've walked through all those things in my own life, and part of me just wanted to write a book just to say, like, Jesus is worth it. Like, he's... Like we can we can press in and fight for the unity of the church and it's gonna be worth it. Like don't I, I, I start the book by talking about a pastor who uh um basically was being accused of being too this or not enough that and this friend of mine or uh just older brother in Christ was telling me about him and he said, David, he decided this pastor decided to give in and to make people happy mm-hmm. and it worked. And he was able to keep his ministry and uh, people were happy with him, but he knew he'd lost what was most important, that he wasn't willing to pay the price that conviction requires. Hmm. And uh, and that's when he looked at me and this older brother in Christ just said, because I was going through some hard days and he said, David, like, press on, don't hold back. Don't, 
don't shrink back from the price that conviction requires. And I, yeah. I would just say that to pastors. I'm sure there are some, maybe many, who are listening to this right now who are discouraged, disillusioned, whatever it might be. And I just want to encourage you to press into Christ, to not give up and not settle for mm-hmm. anything less than all out pursuit of Jesus and what he's called us to as the church in this day. And yes, there will be costs along the way, but the reward will be more than worth it. Yeah, yeah. Pastor, thank you so much for this great conversation. Uh, thank you. Hope it's a bit of encouragement. Oh, thanks so much. And I want to thank you, listener, for uh, uh, listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. I think you'll find David's book will definitely shake you out of your comfort zones and uh, will help you to consider what it looks like to live all of life for the glory of Christ. Again, the title for that book is Don't Hold Back, Leaving Behind the American Gospel to Follow Jesus Fully. If you found this conversation helpful, won't you consider leaving us a five-star rating and review? Uh, We'd love to hear any feedback that you're willing to give. As always, it's our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors, and I hope that we've done that with today's conversation. And as always, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.